<laughs> so I have a technical question. Isn't yeah. it? Isn't it basically blood supply that kind of uh, determines whether your penis is erect or not? How does an electric shock help with that? That too inside your rectum. Because your neurons are involved, right? It's not just your the blood supply that. Oh right. Yeah, it's your nervous so system. Okay, listen, I am not. Uh, I am not an anesthetist. An who uh, <laughs> like the the medical doctor who's in charge of all of that. I am in charge of taking the sperm and the egg and merging them. Sorry, I was just about to hit you with your own mic. Don't worry. Huh. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. So. All right, welcome to the Hyderabad hiccup. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> I am honored Very, to be here. Very, yeah. That's that's how we start. Uh, decided to start today's episode. And uh, I'm the first episode. guest in this uh, amazing studio, red yeah. studio, and I wore a red uh, top for that. Yeah, with on skull on it for some reason. That's cool. <laughs> so, um, welcome to the Hyderabad hiccup. I am Saurav Sengupta, and with me, as always, is. And I am excited. Yay! <laughs> and you've been listening to uh, uh, who who's explained in rather vivid detail and also piqued a certain kind of interest in us uh, <laughs> of what I really don't know. Uh, You're proud of that, aren't you? <laughs> you are so proud of of coming up with that on the spot. <laughs> but you've been listening to uh, Dr. Brinda Pujari. Oh, um, thank you. Who's the first embryologist we've had on this sh- show? Is that is that an accurate description? Yes. Of that uh, is. yeah. See, I didn't call you a microbiologist <laughs> like I do to Saurav <laughs> every time I talk to him. Why? 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 You never call me a microbiologist. I, I, oh, oh. Uh, in reference to Brindle. yeah, I never call sure. you a microbiologist. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So Brinda, are you? So I'm confused. So could you tell us? How does one become an embryologist, and hmm. what's it like apart from, I don't know, when you're not erecting unerect penises? What is? The, yeah, she's never I doing it. Never she just it. has been. I have been witness to that because <laughs> I had to be in the operation theater when that was happening, in order to be ready for the sperms when they arrive. So, <laughs> so I did my masters in life sciences and. Well, in fact, when I was doing my B.Sc. in life sciences, that's when my H.O.D.'s husband, was an em- who was an embryologist, introduced us to embryology because she probably had some career day, something going on, and he came and he introduced us to embryology. And also, there was this poster of this um, company which had shown the stages of embryology. So starting from in vitro fertilization in um, the intracellular sperm inject, intracytoplasmic sperm injection till the uh, two when the embryo is formed and then after that the growth of the embryo and then the growth of the fetus and everything. And every time we would enter the lab, that was the first poster that we would see. So uh, I found it fascinating and then I thought that and then we went I went for a conference and then I asked okay what's the procedure now to because after MSc I didn't think I would do PhD And this is happening where where were you around this time you were I was uh, I was doing my bachelor's at Jehind College in Bombay Ah okay Yeah so uh, So you grew up in Bombay 
Yes, I was born in Kurk and I was raised in Bombay. And oh. I moved to Hyderabad three and a half years ago. Oh. So I've lived all my life in Bombay. I've studied in Bombay. My first job was in Bombay. Yeah, everything was in Bombay. Yeah. Kindly note, she doesn't say Mumbai, but she says Bombay. Yes, because Bombay is an emotion. Mumbai is a place. Mumbai is a district. <laughs> <laughs> it is also a district. Yeah. Um, I never really found out why people romanticize uh, cities ever anyway. It doesn't matter. That's just me. <laughs> mm, so, I was talking. Wait, I was talking about my journey into embryology. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I, I am known for uh, creating very uh, disastrous yeah, diversions. Yeah. But yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, so then uh, I immediately after my master's, I started applying to uh, different fertility clinics. And what I heard was that you just go, they'll teach you on the job and you, yeah, you learn how to do all of this. Pra- because practically we have never worked with sperms, eggs, whatever. And so we had to learn on the job. So my first job was uh, this clinic which was extremely unethical and I left in two weeks. But it was famous or rather should we say infamous for like, I I mean we were speaking the other day and uh, a lot of celebrities have like got their treatments and... No, not 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 that clinic. No, no. This one was just some place where all these firangs would come and they would would, uh, get surrogates to like a lot of people a lot of firangs from the LGBTQ community would come oh, yeah, yeah. and get surrogates to have their child. And um, yeah, mm. but and a lot of NRIs and all. So in the first two weeks, I figured out how unethical that place was and I just quit overnight yeah. one, one day. Turns out this, this is like a pan-Indian malpractice though because yes. I remember reading, reading something about something like this happening in India to like, uh, sorry, Hyderabad to I think the article like uh, that headline should... saying "wombs for hire" or something, something like that. Yeah, and that these surrogates scary. also, and the surrogates are, they come from this these lower economic backgrounds. Yeah. So they're just doing it for a very meager amount, you know, mm. and it's not even very. And there's no postnatal like health and. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because a lot of them, I think. They are supposed to have maybe one child so that they prove that they are fertile. Hmm. And uh, only then they can be used hmm. as, a, as a surrogate. But I remember there was this one woman who was maybe younger than I was. And I was around 23 when I joined. So she was probably in her 20s. So this was after your PhD? No, no, no this was after my master's. Ah, and you were like... Doing your PhD on the side or? No, no. I had just I had just completed my MSc. This was my first job which first I got job within the it. first okay, month okay. of uh, uh, of of yeah of, of after my post graduation from, from clearing yeah 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 after clearing and then this woman tells me about how she has three children but she has just lied saying that she has one child and. Uh, because otherwise they won't let her, uh, you know, they they won't let her be a surrogate. And mm-hmm. that was just for some very meager amount. So wait, they have to have at least one child, but... Just to prove fertility. But not more than... 
one something like that or i think they're not supposed to go through a treatment immediately after having a child or i don't remember the whole the details of that but yeah there's some medical um complication or something that people want to avoid and so they don't let you uh yeah something oh, i don't even remember cut this part out okay <laughs> <laughs> no i i mean i mean sure we'll cut it out but in case like hmm. uh, we leave it just a disclaimer that when i think when you say people from the lgbtq community come that's not the only people coming in right like no no this one no no i'm sure. talking a i was not talking about the community i was talking I know, about I know, this I fact I understand, I understand. about the how many times a surrogate can be a surrogate yes yes absolutely thing. absolutely but this was this was the first place that i worked in and i left and then the second place that i worked in i worked there for 6 years and they were the most ethical i have ever seen most um few yeah most ethical most um according to according to the market we used to charge the least for like per cycle of ivf ah okay and i'm yeah. also told like uh, like you know ivf treatments and things like that like take a toll on a person's mental health and things like that right so of course especially women i mean first of all they are injected with a lot of hormones and there's so much societal pressure the reason they come most most of the women that i met came here because of societal pressure family pressure the shame too i guess i i don't know how much shame was attached to it but almost all of them were just always depressed every single time that i would see the women it was it was heartbreaking <coughs> then there was some where um there was some where the marriages were like women married to or both of them married to each other and neither of them is heterosexual but then they still have to have a child forced into a marriage or um do or are sex phobes or are asexual or something like that and and you know these kind of people wow. would come because they're forced to have a child who knew working in an ivf clinic actually is an i n to give sort sort of gives you an i yeah i mean that that's it that was what made me antinatalist in the first place where okay. i started initially i still love the science of it i love the whole i love seeing the sperms under the microscope and seeing the egg turn into the embryo fertilizing the egg mm-hmm. the process is amazing and i remember sitting and just watching my boss doing that under the microscope and there was a tv that was attached to it so you could see it on the tv and it's so beautiful and then the next day watching the egg fertilize and the day after that watching it divide all of that is amazing and i it still amazes me but then the whole the bigger picture is what upsets me seeing uh, seeing these families seeing the women seeing how much they are going through and then realizing that you are you are responsible for bringing a sentient being into their life and obviously on the on a um 
you know in the in the greater scheme of things you're also contributing to a lot of environmental damage because you're helping someone bring another person who's just going to have a negative impact on the environment so that is all of that just started this whole uh disconnect in my mind and that's what made me have sleepless nights for the next 6 years of my life but then i had already started my phd and i didn't want to leave it midway so i so somehow you, so you also did your like what do you what do you study in your I, phd i did my phd, PhD mm-hmm. i did my phd on male infertility ah so you continued with the science though yeah i that's what i so i did not leave the clinic because so i i think a year into working there i gave my phd entrance test just mm. for the fun of it not because i wanted to do my phd but because i missed giving exams mm-hmm. which is very ridiculous and yeah that's the most ridiculous reason i've heard yeah. for someone and getting a phd ever <laughs> i who misses exams that's like the least interesting part of research did I'm, you like miss i mean miss, I'm maybe some people do i mean I, did you like miss the, no i have you to get to specifics here like did you like miss the process of like writing exa- exams like pen or paper or like did you miss how you felt around it which is i mean for me was I think mostly I missed, anxiety no i missed studying i missed I don't know I I was just out of college and I it felt so weird to not be studying. Mm. So I think I missed that. And I remember my uh, uh professors one of my professors from my graduation days. Mm. She uh told me that hey the PhD entrance test is coming up and that was the first time that Bombay University had a PhD entrance test. So otherwise otherwise there was no PhD entrance test. You I think you just you just had up. to Yeah, I don't remember like, I, I don't know what the criteria cool. was that oh. time. Okay, never mind. But uh, here you have to complete the PhD entrance test and only then you are allowed to uh pursue your PhD. Okay. So I remember my professor telling me that the pet the so it was called pet so pet is uh, i mean they are going to have pet now so just give the exam so i got excited and i was like yeah yeah i'll give the exam and i used to study in the train the train journey from my house to the clinic was an hour long so that one hour going i would study in the train one hour coming back or study in the train which emotion is this uh, brinda of this bombay thing like it's pretty bombay it's the right? most kakka emotion <laughs> <laughs> of traveling by train and having to study inside but but it's i'm we are so used to doing that because even my even my um, college was in church gate so the maximum studying that i've done is studying in the train and now if i have to study in the train i can't i, I get, get a lot of motion sickness but that time i don't know how maybe it was the exam pressure or what it was but no motion sickness at all Basically, and yeah like that's how i get my pet alters your physiology <laughs> in some ways i guess <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you know you said it's a very bombay thing like going to some place on a train and Study. doing stuff on the way yeah. yeah you know you said a very uh, interesting thing um, on the on the kind of patients that used to come for ivf and mm-hmm. all the issues they entailed so there was a recent poll by gallup which kind of um, you know asked uh, surveyed people in lots of different countries mostly young people and uh, they had a question about uh, you know people 
who were who didn't want to have children hmm. because of climate change and hmm. how bad that would be hmm. um and most countries this number was really high like between 30 to 40 percent of young people in a wide range of countries including india um said that they didn't want to have children because you know of climate change and what that would entail so i'm i'm curious is this is this uh, climate change uh, is is ivf something that's just available to uh, so firstly what do you think of that like do you think i mean uh, i know you said you became anti antinatalist yeah um, left the field <laughs> uh, after uh, you know because of your experiences uh, over there mm. but i'm also wondering do you think it's a valid enough reason to not have children because of climate change and what that could do to our planet okay so one disclaimer that i want to give during this episode is that if people listen to this episode one year from today by then also my thoughts and uh, beliefs would have changed so obviously yeah so obviously my now. sure no but it's true because um, that time so this was the whole thing about thinking of climate change and everything was in 2013 and now my um views as to why not to have children has changed even more so the climate change part and the whole having a negative impact comes somewhere third on why people shouldn't have babies but the first one now that has taken center stage is mental health because i have gotten to know more about mental health and i've studying more about that and seeing how much um, a child is affected in the between the age of 0 to 8 where everything that is going on around them has such a huge impact on the way that their brain functions that that the brain has already made up its mind as to how its personality is going to be forever how the person's personality is going to be forever so i know that a lot of people and we don't grow up in a world that is that teaches us how to deal with things we grow up in a world that is extremely critical that is uh, that is based on shame um that basically doesn't really know how to deal with mental health and how to work with work with people and to have a healthy atmosphere to have to raise children in so just thinking of the fact that the new sent again i'll call them sentient beings the new sentient beings who are going to be brought into this planet are going to be brought into this kind of atmosphere which is so detrimental for themselves that has now taken center stage as to why i would not recommend having a child interesting yeah also i mean i'm curious um I'm just kind of thinking about the clientele that would have access to an IVF facility. Hmm. I would imagine that it's mostly people from well, they're mostly tax-paying citizens that would come to this facility and by that I would mean say 97 98% of people of India would not have access to to this. Do you think that's accurate or do they have like or are there IVF facilities where there's like I don't know like there an access clause so clause. many IVF facilities that are mushrooming everywhere so when I was part of this I thought that yeah we need so many important 
uh, and expensive instruments and expensive in infrastructure for this so obviously it's going to be a very expensive affair and not everyone can afford but we also used to do a lot of pro bono uh, treatments and second is i started seeing a lot of tiny 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 ibf clinics coming up which are which are I mean I I'm pretty sure that clinic itself was extremely tiny so I don't know where they would do their uh surgeries and where they would do the whole embryology part so I'm sure that those clinics were the ones that would that would provide facility for a much lesser rate and I don't know how well I I I really don't know the success or failure rate of those clinics but I know that it is becoming more and more accessible for more and more people and also one more thing that you have to factor in is that it's this um the clientele that comes here they are the ones that are most prone to stress and other form of factors that affect fertility which a lot of other classes of society even though it's there but i think it's I don't know the, I don't I don't know the whole uh, statistics around it but it's the fertility rate there doesn't seem to be so low but uh, you can cut this part out because I'm not sure about this No that's that's a fair answer like <laughs> you don't need to know I was just curious Yeah um, yeah and I think it's just the insight that we are after Yeah so I'm not how accurate is no yeah yeah i mean i was just wondering maybe there was like a like you said right like the only people mm. like that you saw there were people with like heavy issues even when it was it was an ethical clinic and i was just thinking that you know maybe it's it's something more systemic that the only people who have access mm. to an ivf clinic and choose to come mm. are you know very rich privileged people who have these issues in their life and can afford ivf i don't know You know. Yeah no but I do remember seeing a lot of uh, I do remember seeing I still see a lot of small IVF clinics coming up and I don't think that they must be charging an exorbitant amount so it may be much more accessible to other sects of society also other classes of okay. Who so are you asking were, me Yes So you were an embryologist you work, worked at this IVF clinic for a long time Hmm. and then you really got into animal welfare so Ooh, was I it was it got into animal uh, animal rights activism yes and I, there was also i'm sorry to interrupt and we will go ahead with what kritat asked but uh, what i was also trying to get to is in between you were like teaching somewhere was yes. it in, that in between if it was in between then probably Oh I'm yeah. I'm just a sucker for chronology dude. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah definitely. No, no, definitely. Yeah, so I used to <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want not your question not to go ahead. But oh, yeah. it it will. But like uh, it's fine. We have <laughs> all the time. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I uh, during my masters I started teaching um, at Victoria Memorial School for the Blind. So I used to teach uh, some blind students um English communication skills. Oh wow. Um yeah. for 2 years. Where was this? This was in Bombay again? This was in Bombay. Ah, do you have to learn braille for that or No, I just had to I just had to speak to them. Ah. So this was uh, after the PhD. No, this was during, during my masters. Masters you said. 
ड्यूरिंग माई मास्टर्स टूवर्ड्स दी एंड वी गॉट दिस अपॉर्चुनिटी टू टीच सम ब्लाइंड स्टूडेंट्स एंड आई स्टार्टड वर्किंग एंड इवन आफ्टर आई स्टार्ट वर्किंग आई जस्ट टू परमिशन एंड आई कंटिन्यू टीचिंग दैम फ्लुएंटली He's made a difference. That's that's <laughs> that's interesting to hear. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So now that we know the chronology, hmm. um, what I was asking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a major chronology anyway because as it as it uh, it just occurred to me that we start somewhere in the middle and then we went back to masters where she was teaching and now we're like coming back to yeah sure right so you. You were at this IVF clinic for a long time, and mm. uh, now you're also into animal rights activism. Yeah. Uh, do you think spending lots of time helping people make babies <laughs> realize that <laughs> fuck people, animals are just so much better? No, that's not true. Actually, so I had I had a dog. I mean, Wait, my. Wait, <laughs> are you saying yeah. correlation is not causation? Oh no, Brinda, just to show you that. Uh, Yeah. How much research we've done? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you said I had a dog. Mm. Can you please tell us uh, the Lassie story? <laughs> yes, the Lassie story. So my dog's name was Lassie, and uh, she was she was actually at my native place, and they used to. So this was at my mom's mother's place, and the strangest thing is that they have never ever tied any of the dogs that they've ever had. but this one dog they had tied her up since she was a puppy and i was just in 7th standard and i knew that this is not okay tying up animals did not feel okay to me and i know that now i come to realize that i think even they did it against their wishes it was there was probably something very complicated going on there because of which they used to keep the keep the dog tied but i used to have a lot of anger towards towards this whole situation and every time that i would go to visit my native place i would untie her and i would take her i would just let her free and she would be running around i would spend my entire day with her i would have my lunch dinner breakfast everything sitting next to her i would read my books with her uh and every morning so the the area that she was at the where she was tied she could she had a clear vision of my clear view of my feet so when i wake up i have a habit of rubbing my feet against each other and she would see that and the moment she would see that she would start calling out to me and the frequency with which she would call out to me was very different from the frequency she used for anyone so i knew that that was a call for me and every time i would have to get up and go immediately to her if i ignored her and went then she would just go ballistic so she was very close to me because probably also because i used to i was the one who would go and just set her free and things like that and every time that i would leave she wouldn't eat for 4 days or 2 days and she would be crying all the time so we had a very special bond and i always wanted to bring her 
with me but i was in 7th standard and i also have a very passive personality because because of which i did not really stand my ground and say that no i have to uh, bring the dog when back when you say bring her as in you said you guys had no 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 she was in my native place ah okay, okay the reason i say she is my dog is because i had that bond yeah, for with sure, her for sure for yeah. sure for sure yeah so no i would never tie her up ever yeah yeah, yeah. i would yeah but then and also our house in bombay is extremely tiny so my mom would always say that you know it's very she would convince me not, not just your house all houses all houses <laughs> uh, which uh, just to bring back that question how does tiny what sort of emotion this bombay <laughs> give you when you are staying in tiny houses anyway uh, this the emotion that you have to struggle for everything and earn your sustenance yeah that's that fuck <laughs> all emotion but i don't know why hmm. everyone is masochistic in some way or the other yeah so yeah so and anyway, you also told me once bombay desensitizes you yeah. but that's the discussion for another time and definitely not for this podcast yeah and perhaps. also what happened with yeah, yeah i know like, krita's getting impatient so, please get because back because i don't know the story yeah so please lassie was uh, so as i grew up i also had other um other friends of mine in my life who used to uh, who were vegetarians for ethical reasons and they used to try to tell me about why becoming vegetarian is ethical and i used to be all about oh you've not lived if you've not eaten chicken and things like that but i think all these tiny tiny things sort of flipped my uh, something in my head after a point where once i was sitting with lassie she was chained i was sitting next to her and i just and there's a butcher shop right opposite the house so i just started thinking of, and you can hear the you can hear the hens crying and screeching when they're taken out and when they're killed so uh, that's when i made the connection and i was like if i don't like lassie being tied up then why am i okay with other animals being caged like this and yeah. enslaved so i that's that was a day when i just stopped eating terrestrial animals and there used to be a lot of there were other times also where i've seen animal sacrifice and then i've stopped eating chicken but then started eating again so there were such instances that happened hmm. recurringly but, to me too yeah. yes but i think what hit me the most was having my seeing my dog and thinking that oh if i'm not okay with my dog being this way then why am i okay with other animals being uh, enslaved like that that's when i stopped eating all terrestrial animals and then a month later i my mom had made some fish fry and she put it on my plate and i thought that if i don't stop eating fishes now i'll never stop eating them so i stopped eating uh, fishes from that day on i just lifted the fish fry gave it back to her and i said this is this is it so that's when because of all of this emotional uh, attachment and emotional reasons is why i went vegetarian and i was i was the very oh i'll have the curry from the fish curry type of a vegetarian and paneer is fine oh egg egg is just what it's just the discarded embryo and just the discarded egg from the hen's body doesn't matter and things like that so i used to eat egg i used to eat paneer i used to have the curry of the fish curry and things like that and i had not known anything about the animal agriculture industry at all then Four years later, I watched. I saw this post. I don't know by whom it was, but I think it was by Peter, 
where uh, there was this cow and a man and a woman were suckling on the udder of the cow mm. and then i thought that oh yeah this is what we are doing and that and that's when i thought that i'll reduce my intake of uh, milk and uh, i i think i happened to tell that same vegetarian ethical vegetarian friend about oh i'm you know what i'm thinking of reducing and she had told me that egg industry is really bad and she tried convincing me not to eat eggs but i would still eat eggs and i told her that uh, yeah i'm thinking of reducing dairy and she said hey please don't go don't go this vegan and all extreme i yeah, mean yeah, yeah. I, i still think about it and it's like ah how how but anyway that's that's a different story altogether but she uh, but yeah but a few months after that i spoke to a friend of mine and he said he was he went vegetarian and i was very excited i was like oh you've gone vegetarian so cool and he said what do you think about going vegan and i said yeah i was thinking of reducing my milk intake and milk intake as in dairy intake whatever and he said uh, yeah you know when you're free just watch this documentary called earthlings and like every other non vegetarian vegetarian person i knew that this is one of those documentaries that will make me extremely uncomfortable and question my cho- the choices that i make so like every other non vegetarian or no vegetarian i was like i'm not going to watch it for a while i will watch it after some time and i kept postponing it postponing it and then there was this one day which was the 26th of january 2015 where i had the worst day ever it was the worst month the whole month i was working there was no yeah and in embryology there is no holiday you have to go when the ovary is ready to burst so you have to be there so there is no independence day there's no republic day there's no sunday there's nothing so that month was extremely hectic and i was working every day and then i came back on 26th of jan and i thought that yeah you know i'll just watch earthlings i mean it can't be worse than my life right now but <laughs> 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 i couldn't but it was <laughs> oh my goodness i couldn't have been more wrong so i still remember my parents were sitting outside and watching tv and i was sitting in the bedroom watching this It's a one hour forty minute or one hour twenty minute documentary, and it took me three hours to watch it because every ten minutes I would stop, cry, start, cry, stop, cry. So I finished watching it, and for some reason I sat through the entire thing because I felt, I thought that that's like my atonement for all the suffering that I've put other animals through. So I watched that, and then I came. I went into the documentary a different person. I came out of the documentary a different person, and then it was just like there was this wall between me and the entire world. And that night, I did not eat at all. I woke up in the morning. That day onwards, I was vegan. I was atheist. I was I don't know what all because I was like, oh, if there is a god, and if that god is allowing all of this, why should I pray to that god? So I became some not even atheist. I think some non-theist, and um, yeah. So that's that's what happened. I know. I mean, uh, yeah. No. Uh, what were you? I mean, it was interesting that you mentioned that because uh, leaving like the discussions and arguments aside, it is very fascinating 
to to just come come at it from like a logical point of view i had a similar uh, thing where uh, someone was just letting their house out and they just wanted me to help them out like with spreading spreading the word no no not you uh and they were like i need i need so and so i'm like do you have any reservations conditions and all yeah everything is okay other than they need to be vegetarians hmm. and then i i don't know why i mentioned that casually but i was like oh okay uh, i mean vegetarians or vegans essentially like right? something like that i decided i don't exactly remember but somehow vegan came into the argument hmm. and the dude is like uh not really like vegan is a little <laughs> militant no oh my god <laughs> i'm like of all the stuff that is there <laughs> on the earth which we consume let's just say we consume <laughs> the one thing that's separating you from the vegans is milk yeah and you just <laughs> you're like just because the ye doodh nahi peeta to mere tarah not only mere tarah nahi hai he's also mil- she or she's also the person's also militant but you know that tells you that tells you something important that tells you that vegetarianism was never about being vegetarian yeah it's a caste purity a thing yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, why the fuck in, would they have a problem with India. milk yeah 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 mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. if it wasn't that because yeah. milk is pure milk is pure because from gau mata gau yeah, mata cow holy because my mom also came home one day from thailand and they like wahan pe na yaar elephant ka doodh peeta hai i'm like dude dude there koi bhi animal ka pee ho par apan ne yeah i mean you have selected one species to drink that's like interesting how i mean over here it's not natural selection right to use the cow or something it's But, we are uh, the only species that drinks the milk of another species and continues drinking milk even after we are done lactating yeah, which do. is mm. quite ridiculous which is also quite interesting <laughs> interestingly ridiculous i don't know <laughs> i find observations pretty interesting <laughs> <laughs> no but one thing i wanted to mention was yeah. that plant based is a diet yeah yeah and vegan, vegan is a lifestyle, is a whole right? lifestyle where mm. you're just shunning all animal use and abuse as much as is practicable and practicable mm. so probably you are we trying to get it is what he was actually thinking not really right no i yeah. think even when it comes to eating also they think it's extreme to not yeah, have yeah, dairy yeah yeah so yeah. just a technical point would you consider entomophagy um vegan when you eat insects no not at all it comes from the animal kingdom please let's leave the animal kingdom far away dekh raha jo bhi ek time pe ek pair uthata hai ya उसको नहीं कर सकता तू बट इंसेक्ट्स के पैर नहीं होते जो भी है यार जो भी होता है हां मतलब नॉट पैर बट या दे स्टिल अपेंडिजेस लेट्स कॉल देम अपेंडिजेस वैसे तो बर्ड्स भी नहीं खा सकते पर मेरे को अपना एक पैर पे एक वाला जोक मत आता तो या आई गेस या आई गेस आई मीन एटलीस्ट फॉर मी आई थिंक द एनिमल क्रूएल्टी इज डेफिनेटली you know is uh, there should be like better ways of uh, and i don't think that necessarily are better ways yeah i mean of, the farming uh, doesn't really make sense animals. of course however i think the biggest reason for me um for uh, veganism and uh, plant based diet is just climate change that animal rearing is one of the largest sources uh, larger sources of water consumption co2 emissions etc and that to me is like a much bigger reason why you should have a plant based diet um or I, i think at this point of time if you're really playing that game and you want people more and more people to come hmm. i think 
this is like a more conducive argument for people i would say like that's what you know. tell the people no i mean but as soon as you get into cruelty and stuff i don't know for some reason they take it too personally you're like acha tu cruel nahi hai main cruel ho gaya kya like you know th- it goes over there but now you now you're like dude leave aside all of that tera jo tu bachcha paida kiya na wo survive nahi kar payega hmm ab main protected hu main to anti natalist hai hmm <laughs> so that is perhaps a little more i don't know convincing no but but like i, I think the other end of the argument is that there are just so many people and everyone needs to be fed and um, you know you're feeding all of that all of the uh, uh, i think around 80% of the land that is used for agriculture i may be wrong uh, around but around that around 80 or whatever percent of the land that is used for agriculture is used to feed animals that are raised for slaughter yeah that's there too and not humans so i think if you just stopped feeding animals and instead started feeding humans you'd be feeding more humans than you are mm. right now absolutely but True. at the same time i would say that everything is entangled in some way or the other so i see it a lot the reason the all, all the arguments that i usually give and i don't really go the whole environment and the nutrition way because when it comes to nutrition there'll be some or the other fad that comes up and people go to that so i i'd never give the nutrition argument and uh, even though i know that plant based is way 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 more healthier than anything uh, any animal based product that you can have but for me it's the interconnectedness of oppression that that makes me that is so strong and which which makes me vegan and yeah and it's very fa- at its very foundations you can actually connect the thought process to i don't know liberal thinking and ideas and what not yeah i mean the lowest and it's also it's I mean, also i've read a few books that's where i'm coming from it's not what i think perhaps but i found those things to be is, pretty legitimate yeah yeah there's interconnectedness of oppression everywhere and at all levels so In fact let's let's go to the most the most basic of all is that there are studies that show that uh people who oppress animals when they are children grow up to oppress humans and to be who are violent towards animals when they are children grow up to be violent towards other humans Oh I I didn't know there was like a legit study there because I legit, there are multiple studies on uh, this one because this is just like in every serial killer movie so I just thought it was like a movie thing no, that no, ha- no, it happens No 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 there's a lot of truth to that a lot of and I have been binge watching a lot of serial killer uh, documentaries and everyone at some point has murdered animals or killed animals and yeah that's their first victim of sorts yeah. but it's not recorded because as well, it's it's a sure. amount of vulnerability mm. right so animals are right right now they're much more vulnerable obviously and it's much easier to attack an animal and then attack a child and then attack a woman because these are all vulnerable classes or sects of society and then obviously then come the other other sects of society which are disenfranchised yeah. i think what you mean is like there's a social order yeah but i mean now and, that you consider animals, animals are the as lowest the lowest rung uh, yeah. of that social order yeah 
and most of the time we don't really look at the social order yeah uh, in that sense in the first place yeah so there's oppression at every every level and uh, animals it's also are at the, the whole most. yeah it's also the whole if you go to see so there's this there's really nice book uh, called uh, beasts of burden where the author she draws parallels uh, she she shows the interconnectedness between disability and how animals are also disab- disabled in this in this society that normalizes able bodied and is is made in a way to fest- uh, to um, you know to enable able bodied people only and how animals don't fall under that whole category of able bodied humans and how they also come under the class of disabled people hmm. who are not uh, you know who are just take who who are not given any consideration so and that is just one form of interconnectedness there's interconnectedness between between sexism and and animal oppression there's interconnectedness between casteism and animal oppression racism and animal oppression at every level in some way or the other you will find that all of these oppressions are in a way interconnected and so that is something that that's a very strong hold for me and i have i, I think since 2015 i have been arguing with people and really arguing with people as to why they need to go vegan but after a point it just felt like it's so complicated to explain why a person needs to stop contributing to to this whole capitalist system of animal product uh, animal uh, agriculture exploiting uh, exploiting and, and capitalism comes there also yeah. so so all of it it just felt so complicated that now nowadays i'm just so overwhelmed that i don't even feel like explaining to a person as to why they should not consume an animal's body or or any products that comes from animals but i think i should get back to writing and talking about it because yeah i think you should just leave your thoughts over there and uh, people who sort of latch on to them yeah because i i remember a lot of people have messaged me saying that hey i read this post of yours and you know now i'm i've i've gone vegan and i read this post of yours and this is something that changed the way i think so i think i should get back to that but the more i started reading remember that day you were talking about some some character from mahabharat yeah where um, that guy knows those people know so much that they can't yeah nakul and said yeah 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 so i f- i i just it feels like that where the yeah. more knowledge you gather the lesser it i mean for krita just to just fill him in on the discussion so nakul and said they are uh, may may seem to us as uh, very irrelevant characters in the mahabharat right but they are essentially sorry who were who nakul and said see that's what who <laughs> that's yeah, what I, I, i'm not doing this for effect i oh wait so oh, you were the, the pandav the, 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 the twins the, the insignificant two, ones the yeah essentially see so yeah. you had like you had like your juggernauts in uh, yudhishthir arjun and bhim of course um but like nakul and said they were like sidelined throughout the story but that is with some purpose uh and the purpose that they are trying to get at is that they are essentially a metaphor to so nakul and sadev so when nakul could speak to trees and plants and insects and something like that i forget which of them could but and one of them had the knowledge knowledge of like mystical arts and sciences why you, you want to say something 
No, they didn't. They just added that in the later version, so they had something to do. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. I'm Pretty just much. Kidding. <laughs> of course, uh, not. I mean that but is one way to look did. at it. But yeah, like, but just even to, if they did, just to fill Kritathin yeah. on the discussion. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to race to this to the end, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so yeah. So essentially, they, and uh, Sadev, of course, had like the knowledge of mystical arts and what what happens in the underworld, this and that, like. uh in in dimensions and worlds beyond that mm. of uh what seems to us uh like reality so no uh, i don't know which is which but they had this information but the metaphor is that when you have like so much of information uh you're so not able to explain yourself yeah. very quickly you are not probably as uh, eloquent while doing it so it's very difficult for you to sort of you know put what you really want to say out there and therefore that's supposed to be the metaphor yeah and i have this whole habit of digesting a lot of a lot of information that's out there and uh, then when i started realizing the complexity of it all i was just not able to communicate and it's difficult to talk to people who don't know a lot about you know who are, who are not up to speed on a lot of the other issues that we are living in already honestly i mean brinda like you're going i mean <laughs> considering you're the nakul in the story I'm sorry. yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to a lot of places but i essentially feel is just like no matter what and it it happens in every discussion and not just this debate so at some mm-hmm. point of time i really feel even when you're talking to pe- people in your life about your emotions sorting essentially mm-hmm. aiming at conflict resolution from your daily lives and relationships you essentially like the human ego element just comes in So and people very rarely sort of look beyond that. Trying, trying, trying oh my something. god! I just realized we had a Captain Planet character in the Mahabharat all along. Who was um, that? Nakul. He could talk to trees and mm. and shit. Oh, like. so he was a uh, heart. Captain yeah. Nakul. He's the hero. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what? Hey, so essentially, honestly, for me, it's just that because uh, I mean, sure. Yeah, ego comes in the way because I mean, if you're not able to look uh, farther or I mean, you. I mean, it takes a lot for you to like sidestep your own ego and your belief system, essentially, which is again tied to your ego. Everything is tied to our own egos, uh, and like even if you're trying to shake them a little bit from their very foundations, it's very difficult to first sight, like you know, not look at it and then sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, of make course. Very, I mean, be, there's, be there's sort of discerning. And sometimes I feel it's a little too much to expect expect from human beings. No, I think uh, that used to happen initially a lot. Hey, Sarif, could you check if the recording button is pressed? I only yeah, see three red is. dots. No, dude, it is. It is. Thank it God. Is. Here's the fourth one. Yeah, don't press it now. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I made sure. No, no but we are not I noobs, think, dude. We are like fourteen episodes in. I think. Uh, oh yeah, you'd be you'd be surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think I think it's just much simpler than that, right? When people are. Um, Well, people arguing on you on the internet is a whole different dimension yeah, added I mean, onto that. Yeah, I mean, I was the whole yeah. ego thing used to come a lot when I was so in 2015 when I just turned vegan. I thought it was extremely simple that oh, I saw something and it changed me. So it's very simple to tell everyone what is actually going on, and then even they'll change. But I did not know that it is so complex and conditioning and con- and you, you know your biases come in and all of this comes in. So. I didn't know the. I didn't. I went into it in a with a very naive, in a very naive way where I would talk to people about it, and then when 
when even after seeing videos when they wouldn't change or after i said things they wouldn't change it would elicit a lot of anger within yeah. me and yeah. that anger would also would always come out in very horrible ways where i would you know that time i used to correct people's grammar a lot so i would uh, i still remember and i feel horrible about it where i said uh, someone was arguing against me and then i just to shut him up i commented on his mm. grammar just to put him down and much later after that i got to know about this whole colonial hangover and things like that and i realized that what i'm doing is not okay mm. and i stopped doing that but that's how anger used to come out and that's how obviously ego clinging this whole thing this whole sense of self and having this idea about who i am and i am here to talk about this and to change people and that 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 whole idea of myself that i had was being questioned that why are people not listening to me why am i not making a difference why are things not getting better so the more i clung to that the more angry i became and then i think after that i started reading up more on the intricacies of everything and the complexity around animal abuse and um, human psychology how much of that i know and there's also everything this cultural aspect no cultural aspect, cultural aspect like, done, social done aspect like so many years with the jolly cutter thing I, I, and no, what not right it's also much simpler right they're like i like eating this i don't want to give it up it's also sometimes it, that is we think it's simple it's simple on I a mean, very surface level but it's not discussion, really but after having that the discussion simple. it's not that yeah, yeah i think so so i think one very prominent issue against just having an all plant based diet is nutrition and in india we know nutrition nutrition is really bad and you know one way you see that is height for age right and that's been decreasing so whenever we talk about like major shifts in diet we need to keep in mind that nutrition is taken care of and the way a lot of people kind of have imposed vegetarianism that really doesn't take that into account so obviously yeah because here when you talk about vegetarianism in in, in india it's always based on caste it is not about nutrition it is not about giving a damn about the animal involved it is about nothing it's just about caste and nothing else and second thing is that if it is if you really want to give good nutrition to the people of your country you need to stop promoting animal products you need to give them good fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds not force egg on them or chicken on them or fish on them because these are the worst animal protein is the worst form of of i won't even call it nutrition it does not nourish you in any way it has a lot of additives in it because the animal is pumped with hormones in order to give that milk or to or to give that egg or to grow to a size the hen that is actually being killed is not a hen that is a 40 day old chick that is pumped with so many hormones and so many growth factors that it grows to such an extent that it looks like a big hen but actually the bones if you see the bones are that of a chick that are extremely brittle and broken because of the weight of that animal so when you are when you're feeding your people that you're feeding all of those things that you've pumped the animal with and that is 
that is screwing up your entire it, yeah, it's screwing up the system i think the narrative has to change from like lack of nutrition to like just lack of food and yeah and the to, way like, that you and like what you feed them and things like that right yeah because there's this this whole thing like the the way that all animal products are subsidized that is there's this whole book written on that on it called metonomics which talks about the rigged economics of the meat industry mm. where they talk about why why meat is so accessible to us and why fruits and vegetables are not and why are why is something that is nutritious given you know is the the price is hiked over there while something that is not nutritious comes for something that is is just available to everyone i mean why should the people who are economically um challenged i don't know disadvantaged yeah disadvantaged why are the economically disadvantaged people why do they have access to so much so much stuff that is not good for their bodies you're not really doing you know if you care for your people then you need to you need to provide them with i know refined sugar is a little is, is ex- more expensive than jaggery and what not things like that right no refined sugar is less expensive than less expensive no yeah jaggery is good for jaggery is more more expensive jaggery is Sir, more expensive refined sugar is less expensive is actually what i want so ah. of course you did <laughs> <laughs> no no obviously i was I, just trying I, to just yeah. Um, so, I know I understand that too. So I'm mm. just, uh, so you know in the same vein you are also uh an advisor at Am I? Are you aren't aren't you? Listen, it was on your LinkedIn. Okay. That's all I know. Yeah. Um at the at the uh uh the Humane Society International and Oh, you, science advisor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you talk a bit about what that entails and what that's like? So the department that I work for uh we work towards ending animal testing. Right. So we work through um science public policy education and training to shift from animal use to more human relevant 21st century tools which are which are non-animal based. So we work with scientists we work with regulators in order to encourage the use and the development of more non animal techniques so that's what we do right and um i think it was regarding this that uh, you were talking about instead of testing something on animals you test it on an organ that's grown on a chip yeah uh, that's one of one of the, the many, many things yeah. but this is this is something that i found really interesting so could you how does one grow an entire organ on a chip or is it just like is it just something i think it's a model it's called a organ on a is chip is what i think it's <laughs> you're mimicking the physiology of that or you're not mimicking the anatomy is this something to do with bioinformatics or something like that no bioinformatics also comes in the picture because you because you need all the data and you need all the uh, assembling so now, like my whole lung can be like like information about my lungs can no, be stored on a chip a, no no no, no 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 so um okay what a lung, for example let's oh see what God, a that, lung on a chip that that should be deep breath that brinda the oh my god i've been i've started bloody beginning okay see so for example <laughs> let me no give one. you <laughs> let me give you an example 
of um, should I give lung on a chip? Well, okay, lung on a chip. ठीक है. So the lung has um, the a part of the lung that deals with with um, let's say the airway thingy. system. Hmm? Okay. The airway path. Uh, the airway uh, pathway. So. there's this there's this particular uh, part of the lung that will have that has epithelial cells mm-hmm. then it has the immune cells mm-hmm. then it has a source of blood and then there is this airway so now what we have to do is we need to mimic this system outside the body so you take the same cells you take a, you t- you ensure that there is constant blood supply you ensure that there's the, there's a pumping of the lungs that that happens within the body and you ensure that there is there is a um, layer of air and then that's how you study different effect and then through that through the chip you pass whatever thing you want to start study the effect of on your lung so if it's a chemical or if it's um a drug or something like that then you then you can have a lung on a chip which is a normal functioning lung where you put the uh, you put a layer of healthy cells the blood that that is going also is i mean obviously the blood will be but that that is that's a healthy lung that you create there is also personalized medicine that's coming where you take the lung cells from a diseased lung and then you make a lung on a chip with that diseased lung and then you uh see if you can if, what kind of drugs will affect that lung well so this is on a very in vitro level that you first check so it's 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 very personalized to the human that you want to use this for also because everyone is different right the way our immune system works is very different from mine will be very different from yours we may we may both be infected by the same virus but the virus will react very differently for you and very differently for me and you can't check that on on a mouse or on a uh, you're, you're saying the gap is pretty huge to any yeah first there is species gap first mm-hmm. of all and secondly when you're breeding animals it's a very homogenous population so there is and they are kept in uh they are kept in an environment that is controlled but humans don't live in a controlled environment and we are a very heterogeneous population so that's why we need more human relevant uh ways of testing and understanding the human system because a lot of a lot of uh, the way that our lungs or i'm taking lungs as an example because we were talking about that human lungs are very different from animal lungs altogether hmm. and we are testing the we are trying to understand how human lungs work or react to something by checking the effect on an animal animals uh, you know non human animals lungs hmm. which is not really not even similar to ours yeah i get it yeah but you've like, explained it really well yeah so okay so i have some questions um one how far along is this kind of technology is it is it like can it be used in at at scale right off the bat or are there some steps that still need to be i don't know 
fine-tuned, engineered, or discovered, after which it becomes really, uh, you know, scale-upable. No, they are already scaling up these models. Like organ on a chip, yeah, we already are... have labs that are uh, that are developing so and he... scaling up these models. But as I said, we have not really. No, I've not said. I'm saying it for the first time. Yeah, but we have not completely understood the human biology. So there is always going to be something new and that something new will always have to be scaled up at some point or the other. So but right now they are scaling up these processes and techniques because because they've shown, I mean they've demonstrated how much superior they are as opposed to animal models as a growing body of scientists. Are in favor of who are in favor of uh, non-animal te- technologies and uh, technologies yeah, and they are more human relevant. Which sort of gets me to my question: Where do you, do you think within the? I mean, because you were an academic also for some time, right? Mm. Like uh, before, of course, pursuing activism. If yeah, I can yeah. Call yeah. That. Uh, so I mean, interestingly, even my sister is sort of uh, pursuing. Uh, yes. Brinda will actually be able to elaborate what she's actually yeah. doing but <laughs> let's just say she's uh, sort of uh, in this so field now, we, we, now we've come to the segment of the part <laughs> podcast where Brinda explains <laughs> what, what my what sister, sister, sister is does. studying uh, <laughs> yeah well so uh, no but, but essentially what she, she she's sort of uh, given me so a uh, few uh, I mean what I'm trying to get at over here is that do you think the even the academic community is sort of at conflict because when my sister also got like her similar just like you did uh, her MSc, uh, and she had to use, of course, animal-based techniques and stuff. But uh, why I say this conflict is that because you have all these researchers and teachers who are essentially your guides, who have got their PhDs. So now, if you even propose something which is like non-animal-based and whatnot, their PhDs are like you questioned. know questioned or like yeah. are no longer are they no longer legitimate and stuff. So there's conflict of interest, and sometimes ideas are just squashed or put away at that level so what what i'm trying to say is that sure you're scaling things up doing this but isn't this like a factor of that some sort of detriments yeah it's very ironical that the ones who are working to uh you know the ones who are working in science are the ones who need to be convinced that for pro like i don't know how to put this but um, because and to be very fair to the researchers and i'm sorry to go on hmm. uh, or like for, for example in my sister's case like her own guide because then she'll have to just shut shop like her whole lab it's, her whole it's 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 more about that it's more it's not uh, sorry it's less about that it's more about the fact that i have done all this work for so long so do i have to accept that what i have been doing for so long doesn't work yeah like a 30 year old career yeah. and what yeah so that is very difficult and that that's where the human element comes in no mm. matter how much you may be you may have a scientific temper or maybe rational and everything at the end of the day you you are still so human so this is right? this is still like holding this like this is like definitely a, holding a lot of science yeah there are many there are scientists who have worked on animals and now who are coming up and saying that yeah the work that i did was you know that it's it's questionable and um, and we need to do better but then 
there are so many of them who there are many scientists who are not even aware of non animal technologies hmm. because they are still going with the norm and with uh, doing things conventionally yeah and i mean which is we, we leave them aside yeah like which is yeah which is um, but like even if you had to convince someone it's very difficult like for yeah, them yeah. you know uh, max planck has this quote uh, which says uh, science progresses one funeral at a time so <laughs> as the old the old scientists who had these ideas kind of died out then new scientists who had different ideas mm. getting quashed um kind of come up um no, but thankfully we have a lot of these old scientists who are coming forward and saying that listen this does not work we have done it and it doesn't work so that's that's like that's a, a silver lining, silver lining. Of sorts. Yeah. yeah which brings me Definitely. to the next question which is like more about you i mean it's this podcast is about you uh is is this like one of the reasons why you sort of less left like pursuing an academic career and like moved into activism or um i think we've sort of understood why she has gotten into activism right but i think like, the f- yeah I did think you face like did you have similar experiences which sort of was discouraging for you and therefore you thought like perhaps not pursue like my post doctorate or something like that you know i still think of doing my post doctorate because she misses oh but there's I no exams studying. over there no oh you missed studying yeah but you sh- but, yeah, uh, but you totally should yeah. yeah yeah please anyway uh no so i was saying that um I think when I was in okay let's let's start about why I got into science because that's a very fascinating story. I got into science because I wanted to cut up animals. Oh. Yeah. Oh, serial oh, like killer dying. alert. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> after all that <laughs> the true story comes out. Yeah. So my mom used to uh <laughs> <laughs> you my like dissecting to, like yeah yeah okay. yeah so my mom used to love dissection mm. she she always wanted to get into science so that she would be able to dissect animals okay. and when i was younger and she would get fishes home i mean when my when we would bring fish home that time she would cut them open in front of me so i would watch her cut the cut it open and in fact that was my most favorite part of the whole even eating fish didn't matter that much to me as much it was much very satisfying sitting yeah mean. sitting in front of uh, my I mom mean, and watching her grow, yeah bong so yeah, I, i get so, that though yeah, yeah it's so very watching satisfying. her open cut up the fish and then she would show me the heart and the and all the parts of the uh, fish's system and uh, yeah it was fascinating to watch and now i realized the disconnect and i was so desensitized to that that i'd never even thought that the fish was a, was once living and you know was um, sentient so that was and i always thought that yes someday i want to dissect animals i'm sorry to interrupt you just for people who are like listening to this uh, what is sentient like when you say sentient what do you exactly mean by that sentience is because then we'd say plants are non sentient beings the sentient beings right so it's because i'm saying that only because that, that's directly connected to the argument of why not eat plants or like no 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 i the thing is i would not even go into that whole argument of eat plants because they are non sentient it's just mm. that pl- it's not proved yet that plants are sentient i would ah, i would what does sentient mean though sentient like now that is <laughs> feeling so sentience is where they feel pain and suffer ah 
Yeah. And that happens because like... So the Google dictionary defines it as able system. to perceive or feel things. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, uh, yeah. So in fact, Haan. recently scientists said that certain animals are sentient beings and so that's the reason why i never get into the whole sentience argument because it's just that we've ne- we've not really proved plant sentience yet but then even if you want to talk about sentience you're killing way if you now you're not really bringing down a whole apple tree in order to have an apple that's so true. so you are doing way lesser damage to someone whose sentience has not been proved as opposed to someone where you can actually see them struggling for i mean you can see the fishes suffocating to death right hmm. you don't see that happening in the uh, for, to a plant when you're plucking an apple or yes. when you're pl- cutting a uh, you know plucking a plucking a leaf or some other part of the plant so back to your american to psycho story, story. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's when i was i wanted i used to my first ever ambition was to become a fisherwoman because i loved going to the fish market and i would watch them sell fishes and i remember pretending to be a fisherwoman so that was my first ever ambition so from there with that in my mind i was like yes biology dissection biology dissection biology dissection and i got into biology and we did not have much dissection which disappointed me a lot thank goodness we did not have. now when i think about it i was like good i don't have that much blood on my hands but in my bachelor's we had the dissection of this fish called scoliodon so that the guy our lab assistant would go to the market and he would bring scoliodon in bulk for us to dissect them and um, and i was happy that oh yeah fish dissection nice one day our professor brought two mice to the uh, lab and she said that these are going to be specimens for dissection to show you some and this was when dissection was not banned now it is banned by ugc dissection so, is banned yeah like they yeah. are when did this happen uh, exactly uh, 2000 somewhere around 2000 12 or th- not 12 it can't be 12 2013 hmm. 14 somewhere how do medical students no so that's what the not for all of them for certain right. like for teaching purposes it's banned especially when you can use simulations and things like that so and medical students use a lot of cadavers mm, yeah a lot of human cadavers so uh, uh yeah so that's when the dissection was not banned and uh, we were doing a lot of scoliodon dissections and one day my professor she brings two mice and she said this is just for this is not part of your practicals it's just for demonstrating and we were happy and uh, we started taking care of the mice we named the mice so one mouse was named after a friend of mine one mouse was named after the professor who brought the mouse the mice and uh, i think the mice were supposed to be female but then they turned out to be male or something like that and that's the reason they are to be di- i don't remember why they were being dissected but yeah uh so one day we come and there is only one mouse in the cage and we are like what happened so the professor said that i used that one for your seniors this one i'm going to use for you all we felt a little prick 
but uh, then we thought okay fine and then she used the mouse this mouse for our uh, for to demonstrate to us and i remember that uh, she gave anesthesia to the mouse and mid dissection the mouse wo- like the mouse is lying on the table completely open and suddenly moves the, her limbs and uh, her or his limbs i don't know and then we that's when it hit us and we were already feeling weird because we took care of these animals and this animal is just being killed in front of us and um, my friend she was we were all rigid and my friend i just went and touched her and she just you know she sort of pushed my hand away and later we saw that she was crying and she is someone whom we've never seen cry ever we saw her cry one of my other friends started crying and then i started crying and that's when i was like never want to dissect ever in my entire life and then that's when i became more and this i wasn't even vegan at this i wasn't even vegetarian at this point and um, that's when i decided that no never am i going to uh, dissect another animal and that was the criteria even for my phd when i took up uh, my phd project i made it a point to tell my phd guide that i am not going to be dissecting how, how did she take it Uh, it, because the it thing sort is of ties into the question that I yeah, asked. Yeah, the right? thing is that, that that's the only reason I asked. Yeah, so the thing is that this is a zoology professor, and she obviously zoology depends on working on animals. So, and a lot of the fertility studies that have been done have been done on mice, whether it's female fertility or male fertility. They've all been done on mice, and I told her that. when i can get discarded sperm samples from the clinic then why do i need and when i'm studying human infertility then why should i use animals for that and she was okay with it but somewhere you know she i think somewhere she didn't towards the mid hmm somewhere towards the middle of my phd she said that you know what if you're during your defense they say that why have you not done animal studies and this is also a huge issue by the way ah uh, yeah where a lot of uh, uh you know uh, some of the reviewers they don't approve of the work you've done unless you've done it on animals so okay. yeah so she had and i did not know much about that but she knew and she said what if they say something like this so why don't you do a few tests on animals mm-hmm. and i said i quit today if that's the case i am not going to i'm not and going to and by this point of time you turned uh, vegan by this point yeah by this okay. point i turned vegan so i told her that i won't be doing that i'd rather quit my phd than sit and work on animals well i do i did not see but that but you much. did successfully defend your phd yeah i did and and surprisingly they did not ask me why i did not use animals congratulations dr brinda pujari thank you maybe they had the same teacher who <laughs> made them <laughs> friends with the with mice and then made them dissect them that's so fucked up why would they make you friends with the mice they did not they didn't know but you're just hanging around them so much yeah. but this is actually funnily enough this is like I mean, we had this discussion, and like you have things like, you know, people who are like really suave and educated and whatnot will sort of connect with veganism and whatnot. Hmm. Uh, but uh, this takes me back to the story, and uh, this was basically uh, someone who who used to come home. I think my maid's uh, son, who was like a driver or something, so he was just mentioning that, "Aaj mere ko I need to go get a goat because there was some sacrificial 
thing that was going to happen and he was just mentioning that uh, oh my god and his mom was like there was some conflict on like the date of the festival hmm. so then the discussion they were essentially having was that if we keep it at home for a day we'll i make it attached to it because they are hmm. more than sentient <laughs> they are like mammals right they yeah. i mean like, leave alone feeling pain and all that they start interacting with you some level like you hmm. i mean la- like for example lassi la- lassi uh so and and then he would like feel really guilty to then mm. and considering like he was already so aware of this and was actually having an argument with his mother yeah. i'm pretty sure he already must have had yeah. such an experience and therefore was not too keen on or really wanted to know when the day was so that he could just go to the market and i mean what do you mm. want to call it the farm and just uh, get the Bring animal the in animal. yeah so i mean that's like a very that's something that everybody can can feel and therefore they probably can understand yeah yeah innately of course because innately we are all compassionate beings and we don't really want to cause pain or suffering to others but what comes in the way is all the conditioning that we've gone through and we just even when i was a non vegetarian i would my people would tell me things like see how would you feel if you know if if somebody look at look look into the eyes of this animal would you want to and but there's there's still that there's this cognitive dissonance that happens where something is questioning what you've held on to for so long and you don't your mind does not want you your mind wants to protect you and doesn't want you to have that discomfort mm. so i mean other than human ego there's just this psychology that's yeah probably yeah yeah so it's not all about ego it's just, it's very that's the reason i said it's so complicated. complex it's complicated you should keep writing that you yeah. can't you can't that's i think that's where the whole humility part came in where and and anger went away because i realized how complex this is that someone would be extremely upset with dogs being killed for meat in china yeah yeah in uh, other parts of the world but then they would be okay going to the butcher's butcher shop and just get or they would just watch a a truck of uh, hens being taken and wouldn't even flinch looking at that so mm. it's 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 all cognitive dissonance and it's yeah. all about uh, yeah so mayank parak the comedian in hyderabad So he 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 did this joke on his like social media thing it was just a small reel of sorts where he he just mentioned that he has these friends who are like animal lovers mm. and they say ki we are animal lovers this and that and right after like sort of playing with dogs and all that they casually say ki chal ja ke mutton biryani khate and he was like trying to make fun of them mm. uh, and uh, then he was just talking about the flack he received for just this one joke yeah and and he's like a comedian so i'm sure he crack, cracks jokes on like pretty contentious issues but he didn't know that this was a i mean he's a vegetarian himself like just to you know be very clear of uh, so i mean i'm just trying to sort of get into how people just react like psychologically and like there's there's this weird distance of sorts it's like just, this is gap it's complex it's not as simple as rash you yeah. know a rational person or a logical like, how person can you say food is food listen that he was just like questioning the logic behind yeah there's a lot of play bol ke mat khao bas bolo ki khana hai kha raha hu or something like that point is his joke received a lot this joke received a lot of 
flag which i mean i didn't expect it to actually but it's interesting i had this uh, while we were speaking i had this idea what if there was like a like a being um which would eat you but very slowly and uh, it would eat you so slowly that you would get to live out the rest of your life any way you wanted till you died and then it would eat you faster what and then and then so it would it would it would give birth to you then it would nourish you throughout your life and then it would eat you very slowly but isn't that what your body age? is essentially doing yeah. like the the day you're born you, you start, start dying in oxygen and oxygen is essentially not very good for it like no 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 i mean your body your body itself is doing that right it's it's killing you the mo- the moment you are born your body is slowly slowly killing Don't you the time that you die what Dula is trying to say <laughs> yeah but yeah that just but makes I love me my think birthday. that just makes me think like of the earth as a very humane meat consumer <laughs> um, yeah. as a whole anyways but um on another note um you have a lot of academic research um and i guess you're 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 only the second person on the hyderabad hiccup um to have a body of research um lot of your research deals with sperm health right um and i don't know how's what's that like so for example we were we were reading this one paper oh, where goodness, uh, <laughs> no we i mean I, at least uh, i don't no, know that would want to get into it but i would actually want to know why like you know just because you like that can't be the reason liking to watch i mean it's enticing to watch sperms under a microscope cannot be a reason no i, I think uh, the so when i was doing my msc first of all i never wanted to do my phd i said this is it after this i am not studying further and everyone in my class said no no after msc we have to do phd and what's extremely strange is that out of all those people i was the only one who ended up completing her phd none of them who said yes we are going to do a phd after masters have done it this is from my bachelor's uh, uh, group but um, yeah i liked the science so much that i said that if i'm going to pursue my phd i'll pursue it in infertility and the reason i chose male infertility was mainly because i wouldn't have to use animals because mostly for female infertility you either you can use human samples also but then there's a lot of ethical issue not ethic you need a lot of ethical uh, you need to make sure that your study is such at least i would do it i would make sure that my study was such that i don't need that i wouldn't use human embryos or anything because there's still a lot of ethical issue around using human embryos and stem cells and everything so i wanted to get away from all of that and sperms anyway discarded a lot <laughs> so we had a lot of waste sperms using electric buttlets <laughs> no but anyway ejaculation <laughs> is i mean you have to it, it uh, the sperm sample that we would get would be around 3 ml out of which we would use one drop tiny drop so you're anyway throwing the rest of it is discarded and there's so much you don't need it so there's not much 
ethical issue around that and also you're, you're not like checking other factors you just need a normal sperm so there's not much of um issue with that so that's that's the reason i chose male for infertility also because as this whole thing around yeah infertility only is is only because of women is only because of women because wow. of that there is a whole lot of focus on what is wrong with the woman and male infertility is just sidelined because ha aadmi ka to kuch nahi hai i mean he is giving a sperm the sperm also has a big role to play in fertilization mm-hmm. so unko koi matlab basically what you are trying to say ki but theko boss ek hath se taali nahi bachta yeah <laughs> yeah yeah true. so that's and the reason i and chose and, male infertility and you know you have this uh, very interesting paper where i think i think it's about sperm freezing yeah yes right yeah How? i have reservations so i've heard about women freezing their eggs in fact i think there was this uh, Mm-hmm. um weird um um facebook policy where they offered their female executives an opportunity to freeze their eggs mm. at 40 or above or something like that and it got a lot of flack um for being um you know sexist and considering now that i know that there is a process <laughs> where men can freeze their sperm yeah, as well yeah always um, like getting a vasectomy is it, is it is it the same thing no it's exactly no, the opposite thing freeze your sperm <laughs> for later use oh acha oh, okay that way i thought like freezing no oh, no no mind. what, I okay. what? I know what, what did you think was happening here <laughs> like mr freeze, freeze comes with a gun or something <laughs> <laughs> you you like put your balls in like a temperature control place for enough for like the sperms to just that would be high temperature oh hmm. quite the opposite of freezing <laughs> <laughs> i can't imagine you thought like frying <laughs> not freezing <laughs> freezer eggs <laughs> fry your sperms <laughs> yeah no but that's cool so like is that like a very valid thing or was that something very experimental it's very common like, but freezing sperm, sperm freezing is really? very common yeah very in fact there are certain sperm samples that we have to uh, procure directly from the testes or from the epididymis which is just above the testes so those from there when you a lot of the times when you're procuring from there in extreme cases where there is extreme male infertility you find very few sperms and you have to freeze that sample for maybe next time if they have frozen eggs or if they come again for a treatment then we freeze that sample and we keep it so that's a very common practice sperm freezing has been no, there cool, for a right? while you freeze your sperms and then like you get a vasectomy so no, but you really don't have to how, think about yeah how long yeah. it, it gives you this thing whole lot I'm, i'm i'm like very fascinated i didn't know you could do this i'll connect you with my friend <laughs> No, no. I mean, <laughs> sure. How? Thank you for that. But like, I'm just saying that you know, vasectomy was always this choice that you had to make. You don't have a child. Yeah. For in, no, no. I'm just saying, in principle, like you get a vasectomy and then you're like, do you want a child? Do you Did want you a mean child? like that's not Did that's you? not up for. argument anyway is what yeah yeah you can yeah. freeze it insightful yeah you did, did you mean in general or did you do, did you just don't want sort of in general in general i would uh, tell everyone to please not have children 
एंड डू दैट पर्सन हु हैज नॉट येट बीन बोर्न अ बिग फेवर बाय नॉट ब्रिंगिंग देम या यू नो अम let's get to so a paper quick question i was actually yeah, interested so a, in what you'd ask yeah so i have a quick question on that how long can you actually freeze Freezes sperm, sperm for as long as you want really that's yeah, it yeah even eggs for as it. long as you want as long as the liquid nitrogen level is maintained and yeah but yeah. that's you and, just pay for no it power you have ancient Whatever, right? and you have to pay for it mm. no but uh, but i don't think we used to take money for keeping them frozen i told you right the clinic i worked for was extremely patient friendly and only wanted the patient to benefit so we never used to charge them extra you know there's this uh, uh there's this plot point in this tv show called evil mm. where uh, there's a fertility clinic uh which is run by the devil so mm. they freeze eggs and then they fertilize them with satan's sperm or something wow. so they get like multiple antichrists born <laughs> all over the globe and uh, i thought that was a nice way to scale up devils being all scientific huh? mm. very nice isliye bachcho padhai karo the devil the devil was always help, in the details yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh yeah good one ab <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, So yes, on your yes so this is this was like one one paper that i read which is really interesting hmm. um also <laughs> um i like that there is a sperm vitrification so what is sperm vitrification exactly is that freezing it is so what we do is sperm freezing is we directly we wash the sample process the sample and then we freeze that sample but in sperm vitrification we take a few sperms and then pass them through and then ju- just like quickly freeze them so uh in sperm freezing there used to be a solution that i used to use and then you know mix it with the solution and then after that freeze them i think yeah that's what i used to do put them in fumes first and then uh slowly put them in the liquid nitrogen but in vitrification it is a very quick process of freezing the sperm and they also come with uh, and is there a machine to do this which is called the vitrimate oh my goodness the vitrimate we did everything with our hands vitrimate is probably what was vitrimate i think that was just a chamber in which you put it or something i don't know what it is but it has a lovely it has name a lo- yeah yeah it's like uh, i'm just thinking the company which vitrimate <laughs> that's a good choice ad launch us it like that marketing department had no idea <laughs> what the final <laughs> product was off, yeah. <laughs> um what was vitrimate why well, i remember vitrimate but we have never used anything we used to do everything with our hands only oh i can i i have the thing um a unique vitrification protocol oh my god this is dr vijay mangoli he is my boss ah. was or is it was okay Oh my goodness this is amazing He is my boss and he is the one I told you right that we I would watch him um, with the poster What no 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 he's a I used to watch him do the whole process of intracytoplasmic sperm injection and uh, Quick question Yeah what is intracytoplasmic Where you take the sperm directly and inject it into an egg 
So you pick up a sperm, one sperm, and you inject it into is one. Like, is egg. that like a skill-based thing? Like you, I mean. Yes, a lot of skill goes into that. Is it wow, like done manually with hands? Wow, huge shout out to my boss, my ex-boss. He's doing God's work. Hmm. No, but 2015, I was still working for them. How do I not know about Vitrimate? What was Vitrimate? No, I think Vitrimate is the. Yeah, I know what Vitrimate is. It's that thing on which you vitrify the sperm. Ah, that is what it is. Oh, thank goodness! I was like, what is this that he created? Which when I was there, which I don't even know. Yeah. Clearly, this paper was written <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Vitrimate using Vitrimate. No, but this is another Vitrimate. How many Vitrimates are there? I think you'll have to cut out this whole Vitrimate section because now I'm a little bit of. Um, I only associate with the word uh, Vitrification. There's a whole Vitri friends. Yeah, Vitri thing. Of, uh, anything Vitri with only tiles. Oh, this! I know what this is. Yes. So this is the one in which you. Uh, this is a system. Yeah, this is what he's talking about. So this is like a small box in, uh, in which we have this this sort of a block, and that block has these holes in which you can fit the outer cover of the catheter type thing on which you load the oocyte or the embryo or the sperm, and you have to put that into that. It's that is what it is, which we made. Hmm. There may be my uh, he had he had recorded a lot of this looks like my handwriting. There were a lot of uh, uh, videos that he did in which I was writing stuff and all. Maybe that's all. This is this is my boss's wife. Oh, even I may be there in one of the videos. This is my hand. This is me ah, in vitri mate. Oh, so there are videos the of video this online. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. This is me. For all the budding embryologists out there, we'll have a <laughs> video linked of uh, Vrinda's hands in the vitrimate freezing sperm cells. But uh, yeah. apart from freezing sperm, you also have a lot of research on what can damage sperm cells. So you have like one on UV rays and sperm, and you have one on temperature and sperm. So could you tell us more about that and what particularly that was? So my work essentially was uh, studying the factors that affected the DNA and cytoplasmic integrity of human sperms. So I studied the effect of temperature, ultraviolet radiations, electromagnetic radiations, and pesticide on sperms. So they're all detrimental. So. <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, so these uh, that was a very disappointing study, though. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, everything everything's bad. Yeah, if you were thinking of adding pesticide to your cereal, <laughs> don't. <laughs> the, the the fact that you have you are eating food that's laden with pesticides, and even in micro quantities, if it is reaching your uh, affects your fertility testes, then it affects your fertility. So. And different things like temperature also rise in temperature when you keep your laptop on your lap, the heat of the uh, you know the heat of the laptop is so much that it affects your sperm, uh, uh, your sperm, the vitality of your sperm. But I did not just check 
so there's a lot of work that's done on motility of the sperm and all of that but i mostly checked something else at a very cellular level which is not been done a lot so wait um you talked about damage to the the dna in the sperm right yeah um or so does this mean that if the dna is damaged does that mean there's a lower fertility of the sperm overall or does this just mean that um i don't know there's more genetic error in the it could be uh, there could it could be both because um we know that the when there is more dna fragmentation there is more there, there is higher chance of uh miscarriages that happens of the fetus if the D- if the dna fragmentation of the embryo was high then there's a very high rate of miscarriages after ivf so we yeah, yeah so dna the, the integrity of dna plays a very huge role not just in fertilization but also in development and also in yeah basically fertilization and development so i'm uh, very curious um are there like certain districts or sub districts in india where there's been a lot of pesticide or pollution or whatever and that has just led to like uh, the fertility rate falling in those districts yeah so that's what i mine was mostly a prospective study in the lab where i was directly testing the uh effect of the uh, pesticide on the sperm i did not really check whether there was any correlation in the use of pesticide and fertility rates around the country i just saw which pesticide is u- being used maximum and uh, if and and checked if you know micro quant- nano quantities of pesticide also causes a huge uh, change in the structure of the sperm oh wow that is scary um and are these changes like temporary like if new sperm is created then that kind of like goes away or that, does that it stay will, yeah so that will depend on if these chemicals are affecting the uh, reproductive system so there i would have had to check if they are affecting the um uh the you know the primary cells which are then leading to the uh, formation of sperm cells but that's what i did not study so i don't know about that Ooh, interesting but yeah i'm pretty sure if for damage is done it will be done permanently in, in some way that is is very scary to think about um amongst all your research is there like a piece of research that you really like doing or that you think was like very impactful or whatever whatever way you drank them what do you think is like the drank. best kind yeah don't talk about sperm and drink rank 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 rank, rank. rank. okay please cut this part okay ha huh. whatever way i rank them hmm there was one part on uh we were checking they there there are these vacuoles that we see on the sperm which are these depressions on the sperm 
which we were trying to correlate with DNA fragmentation. And uh, I think that was a very interesting study because that was just uh, that, you know, that that wasn't really part of my original plan. But I inserted it into it into the study because I was very excited about vacuoles and nobody really knows much about it. There's not much study done on that. So but we just noticed that if a sperm had a lot of vacuoles, then it wasn't able to fertilize the egg well. And vacuoles are water bags inside a cell? Am I remembering that right? Vacuoles are, yeah, they are kind of these sacs that are formed, but these vacuoles were like depressions on the sperm. So the sperm surface is flat and then there would be these depressions which you would call vacuoles on the sperm. Oh, like craters? Like craters. Oh, man. Yeah. And if, if if your sperm has more craters, yeah, there's more likely to be DNA fragmentation. That's what we thought and that was what I was trying to correlate. And I, yeah, I think I correlated the two. But there's still more, a lot of research needs to be done in that. And it needs to, we need to see if that is reproducible in order to be sure that 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 is what it is. And there is correlation between the two. Right. So quick question. Why would your sperm have have vacuoles or depressions? No clue. Huh. So that's what we don't know if it is the vacuoles that are causing the DNA fragmentation, if it is causing the DNA fragmentation or if it's a DNA fragmentation that is causing the vacuole. So we, there's not much, at least when I did my PhD, there was not much study that was done on that. Maybe I need to read up on that right now to see if anyone has done anything. Interesting. I think that's all I I'm not I publish these papers. I need to publish them. Yeah, you should. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, just get your manuscript out. Yeah. Um, yes, Saturday, Sunday. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> when you're not recording podcasts. Yeah, when I'm not recording <laughs> podcasts. Um, but yeah, I think this was really nice to talk to you. And Brinda, before we started the podcast, you were like, what are you going to ask? Yeah. Ask we did, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> so much about my research. I would have read my papers and come had I known that you will be another episode ask. or two. They could be. Is this for the food that I brought today? Oh, yeah. Uh, and of course. I, I mean, I was going to get to that. But uh, <laughs> she's fishing for things I'm the Hey, I don't <laughs> fish. I'm a vegan. You don't ah. fish anymore. <laughs> I fish never anymore. used to fish before also. But hmm. uh, Yeah. Um, thank you for getting uh, these wonderful very vegan, soft, marshmallows. Uh, vegan marshmallows. Vegan marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> and... and uh, Vegan Kudos Karachi to biscuit. Karachi Bakery for making vegan uh, Karachi biscuit. Karachi vegan biscuits. Karachi biscuits. And the and, uh, and most the, importantly and for the, coming down and the vegan uh, rusk by uh, Sindh Bakery. No, oh. Sindh Bakery. Sindh Bakery. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and most importantly for like coming down. Yeah, yeah I love the I love the setting. Hmm, thank you. In case you guys were wondering what she's talking about, we now have a studio. 
and um, if you are in hyderabad and do something interesting and want to talk to us um, produce a podcast we can help you get there <laughs> yeah and drop right in and um, that's been us this was the hyderabad hiccup thank you so much for listening thank you for coming brinda thank you so much for having me this was fun <laughs> thank you for listening goodbye bye